It's the Americhips with Kim Monson. Now, while this is all going on, I went through President Trump's speech and uh, Chuck and Nancy's rebuttal. The most important story. The American people finally said enough, and that is why they elected Donald Trump. The latest in politics and world affairs. Britain's version of Medicare for All is struggling with long waits for care. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Because ideas matter. It's the Americhicks, dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. This is Kim Munson. Happy Monday to all of you. Hope you had a great weekend. And uh, we're back in the saddle here. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing this morning? You've already said it. It's Monday. <laughs> I, I plead the fifth. You plead the fifth. Well, we're here. We're uh, Steve's behind the boards, and uh, we're going to go through some really important issues so that you can get your brain around that. And uh, I want to say thank you to Steve, of course, and Zach, Patty, Keith, and Charlie for all the good work that you do. And uh, to each of you listeners out there, wishing you a great day. Uh, go out there. You have a, a purpose. You are valued, you are treasured, and so go out and take care of things. Uh, the show today, we will go through headlines, and we'll talk to Kevin Sorbo, who is going to be the keynote speaker up at U.S. Constitution Week in Grand Lake next week, uh, well, next weekend. And we do have a drawing going on. Uh, we'll be drawing on Wednesday, and it is four tickets to the meet-and-greet to meet Kevin Sorbo on Friday night and then VIP seating at the main event on Saturday. And so if you would like your name put into that drawing, go to my website and you can sign up there. And uh, so let's go ahead and jump into things. You know, as we're looking at these issues, freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And uh, I think people generally like to have freedom for their everyday lives. And force comes down to both force and control. And it is never compassionate to take other people's stuff via public policy or excess of taxation or with a weapon. Um, And it's never compassionate to do that via force. So that's why we're looking at these important issues. And uh, so let's jump in here. I should let you know we're going to be talking with Rob Nadelson in segments three and four. He's going to be up at U.S. uh, Constitution Week as well, and he's a constitutional uh, expert. And he had a recent piece in the Epic Times, and he said why recent attacks on the Constitution are wrong. And, uh, you know, these days, many of our kids are being taught, many people are here that the U.S. Constitution, that it's old, that it's undemocratic, it's sexist, racist, written by rich white slaveholders. Uh, And it's a narrative that's being pushed out by, I call them the triple P's, Uh, Steve, that is your politicians, pundits, and professors. Uh, but is it really true? Is that really true about the Constitution? And so we're going to ask Rob Nadelson. It promises to be a very important conversation, Steve. Yeah, Rob always uh, hits it out of the park every time he's with us. And uh, again, the narratives coming out of the left, they just take your breath away. Uh, they're very creative. you got to hand it to them for their creativity. But uh, the truthfulness, uh, it, <laughs> talk about passing the smell test. Speaking of of smell test, uh, I I saw something somewhere this weekend that said that conservatives, and this is people that want to conserve the idea of the the American idea, that they have a messaging problem, that uh, they would actually call sushi uh, dead 
fish, dead old fish or something. And it's like, yeah, you're right. We do have <laughs> we do have a messaging problem. So we're going to keep working on that. Semantics. Semantics. It's everything. So our quote for today, did you know that Roger Sherman, are you familiar with the founder Roger Sherman by any chance? I am not. Okay, Roger Sherman. He was born April 19th, 1721. He uh, died July 23rd in 1793. <clears throat> He was an early American statesman and lawyer, as well as a founding father of the United States. Steve, he, he is the only person to have signed all four of our great state papers of the United States, the Continental Association, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the Constitution. You know, we should all know about Roger Sherman, shouldn't we? I knew the name was familiar, but, you know, why? And <laughs> great reminder. Yes. And so this is one of the things that he said. He said, Sad will be the day when the American people forget their traditions and their history and no longer remember that the country they love, the institutions they cherish, and the freedom they hope to preserve were born from the throes of armed resistance to tyranny and nursed in the rugged arms of fearless men. Oh, Roger, <laughs> we have arrived <laughs> we ha- <laughs> or we're getting very close. Yeah. And uh, so that was Roger Sherman. So today's funnies. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I like, uh, let me say in advance, I like number three. Okay. Okay. Well, we have three of them, obviously. Yeah, don't don't let me throw you a curve, but three made me laugh out loud. Okay. You have to be a Denver Boulder legislator if you believe, one, that the same teacher who can't teach fourth graders how to read is somehow qualified to teach these same kids about sex. Oh, that's so true. (laughs) Number two, you have to be a Denver Boulder legislator if you believe that guns in the hands of law-abiding Americans are more of a threat than U.S. nuclear weapons technology in the hands of Chinese communists. Uh, Yeah. Okay, and lastly, I guess guess these aren't really funny, are they? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's the deal if you don't? Laugh, you'll cry, cry, or if you, you know, don't cry, you'll laugh. I don't know which it, but yeah, that's why we're laughing here. Okay, and the last one is, it is funny. You have to be a Denver Boulder legislator if you believe that there was no art before federal funding. (laughs) Okay, I don't know which headline to choose that Patty's put together here, but uh, I think first of all, Let's talk a little bit about the judiciary, okay? Um, In Complete Colorado, there was a really important piece about um, uh, Senator Senator Brown said that um, Senator Cory Gardner is an important voice in reshaping the federal judiciary. And, uh, you know, we've got a very important election coming up in 2020, not only the presidential election, but Cory Gardner is up for re-election. And my friends, no matter if you agree with uh, Senator Gardner, with all of the different uh, votes that he's taken or not, uh, we need to take a look at the bigger picture here. And that is, is if Senator Gardner uh, is not reelected and it goes Democrat, that is one more seat in the Senate that will work towards impeaching President Trump should he be reelected. And what has been happening with the judiciary uh, with President Trump and getting conservative judges onto all of these different federal courts and onto the Supreme Court is key to making sure that we um, push back on these activist judges that have been been put in place over a number of years. And I think many times 
and and conservatives it's gotten such a bad rap but conservative you know, uh, you know on the left on environmentalism to conserve seems like a good word but the word conservatives in politics has gotten a bad rap and what conservative really means is to conserve the american idea and that american idea is freedom instead of force and so we get to the judiciary and for i would say the last 40 years or so uh, the the radical progressives that have been continually working to take over the Democrat Party, they are now proudly using the word socialist. And uh, socialist means control of all of the key things uh, that are, are important for making people's lives better. So it's like control through public policy uh, of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. And if that can be controlled by government is almost the same as government taking it over. And so the radical progressives that have uh, or regressives that have taken over the Democrat party have have been working diligently over the last 40 years to pack the courts with activist judges. And in comes Donald Trump and he puts the skids on that and is is actually uh, appointing uh, federal judges that care about the American idea, about the U.S. Constitution, of which we are celebrating uh, the signing of that. September 17th is uh, is the day. Uh, that's tomorrow. That's why there's U.S. Constitution Week up in Grand Lake. But Senator Gardner is a key voice in that. So it is time for Coloradans, unaffiliated Democrats that believe in the American idea instead of socialism and communism, and Republicans, libertarians to come together and reelect Cory Gardner, whether or not you know you you've agreed with him on everything, the long game is is we need to make sure that we are able to get these judges in place that conserve the American idea. So this goes to I asked Steve when I walked in, what's the um, number one thing that was on your radar? And I don't know if you guys saw this though, but uh, many of the top Democrat contenders. Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker, and Julian Castro announced on Sunday that Supreme Court Associate Justice Brett Kavanaugh must be impeached after a new what's that word anyway that can't prove it there you go and disputed allegation of sexual misconduct against Kavanaugh surfaced in a weekend New York Times piece. Uh, that uh, uh, the, the, the revitalized long shot push to get Kavanaugh removed from the high court comes as Democrats' apparent effort to impeach President Trump has largely stalled. Trump, for his part, suggested Sunday that Kavanaugh should sue for defamation. The Times piece by Robin Pogabrin and Kate Kelly, adapted from their forthcoming book, asserted that a Kavanaugh classmate, Clinton-connected, Nonprofit CEO Max Steyer saw Mr. Kavanaugh do something. I'm not going to say that on the radio, okay? The Times did not mention Steyer's work as a Clinton defense attorney or Steyer's legal battles with Kavanaugh during the Whitewater investigation, and they simply called him a respected thought leader. According to the Times, Steyer notified senators and the FBI about this account last year during the Kavanaugh hearings. But the FBI did not investigate, and Mr. Steyer has declined to discuss it publicly. However, the Times article also did not mention that Pogobrin and Kelly's book found that the female student in question 
had denied any knowledge of the alleged episode. The book notes quietly that the woman Max Sire named as having been supposedly victimized by Kavanaugh and friends denies any memory of the alleged event, observed the Federalist Molly Hemingway. Seems, I don't know, pretty significant, Molly says. What do you think? Again, they are trying to, uh, you know, have all of this uh, conversation to, to ramp things up, to uh, take people's attention off of what is really going on. And this, again, this is uncorroborated. It is, uh, it, un, you know, it's just, I mean, it's unbelievable to me, Steve, that they would, uh, they would do this now. But once again, they're just trying to take people's attention off of what's really going on. Can you say provocation? Provocation. And here's why I ask. And you might not have seen this yet. All right. The, uh, the, look at the timing of this. This bombshell dropped, what, Friday or maybe Saturday, gave the Dems uh, all the time in the world. Each one of them stepped up to the mic and let him, Kavanaugh, have it. He needs to go, blah, blah, blah. Right here on Fox News website is the New York Times suddenly made a major revision to a supposed bombshell piece late Sunday. Timing. Uh, concerning a resurfaced allegation of sexual assault by Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, a- hours after virtually all 2020 Democrats presidential candidates had cited the original article as reason to impeach Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. So again, a provocation, a fact plot, a fake platform to get up and let or to allow these people to get up and blast away. And then the New York Times has to pull it back late Sunday night. They do it on Sunday night. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Imagine that. Okay. Well, we didn't, I, I didn't look at that. Thank you for finding that out. So here you, like you mentioned, they've had all of this provocation out there and then they go, oops, sorry, it wasn't totally true. The New York Times is no longer a respected, the respected news source that it used to be. And if people look at that and think that it is, this is an example. You can no longer trust a, um, a news source that, that does this. I will have to mention that we have uh, a clarification that we will, when we have D.K. Williams on later this week, I had cited that it was a Supreme, a Colorado Supreme Court decision, and uh, one of our uh, listeners had written, said, Kim, I think that it was actually a circuit court. And so when uh, David and I are talking uh, later this week, we'll once again clarify that. But thank you guys for keeping me uh, on as we want to make sure that we are always searching for truth. So we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll talk with uh, Kevin Sorbo uh, in the second segment and third and fourth segment. I cannot wait to talk with Rob Nadelson about this piece that he did, why recent attacks on the Constitution are wrong. We'll be right back. At Hooters, you can watch the games with all your buddies. And when your buddies are the world-famous Hooters girls, there's always plenty of ice-cold beer and those craveable wings that'll knock your taste buds into next Tuesday. Hooters girls know plenty about football, but we really know the fans who live for it. So hang out with all your buddies all season long at Hooters, your official hangout for game day. Catch all the games at Hooters and enjoy a butter Bud Light draft with 10 boneless wings, just $10. Dine for two with the pitcher and nachos, just $20. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. In Fort Collins, attend Vino and Veritas at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland, Presidential Wealth Management Greenwood Village, Tina Francone with Straightforward Shooting, and Grand Lake U.S. Constitution Week for their generous support. 
Court, Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson, and we are going to have a conversation with Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo, welcome. Uh, it's good to be back here. How are you doing this morning? Well, I'm doing fine, and I can't wait to see you up in Grand Lake this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. I'm coming out there. I think I'm flying on Thursday. going to spend a full day Friday uh, kind of doing some fun stuff around that beautiful area. Then I know we have a big VIP party Friday night, and then I speak on Saturday. Right, and I'm looking at the weather. It's sunshine on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday up there. It'll be in the 60s, so bring a jacket, but it will be absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, Kevin, it is something that is really special. Uh, the meet and greet with you will be on Friday evening, and then on Saturday, that is the big, big day. There's things going on all week. Uh, however, uh, there will be a parade. It's such a taste of Americana. It'll be right down Main Street. Then you'll speak. There's a fabulous music festival. You're going to love hearing Peggy Mann, and there's going to be a couple of other bands there as well. But she has written a song about... Um, a mother sending her child off to uh, off to war that will just uh, it'll bring tears to your eyes. So that'll be in the afternoon, and then there'll be fireworks over the the lake on uh, Saturday night. So Kevin, it's going to be really special. You know, it's a it's a I saw the itinerary. It's amazing. It's like as you mentioned, there's a full week of activities going on. You're going to have some very bright uh, people there that are going to talk certainly on the Constitution. And, uh, you know, we're trying to make this thing a bigger thing, just not only there, but around the country as well. I mean, the Constitution Week, I believe, was set up a long time ago by, by Teddy Roosevelt, was it not? You know, I don't know that for sure, but Grand Lake may be the only city in there, the little town in the nation that uh, it celebrates a whole week like this. And uh, there's so many volunteers that make this happen, Kevin. It, is, it truly is a taste of Americana. Well, you know, it certainly should be something that's taught throughout all of our schools at all levels. And so people really understand what the Constitution is about and how, what, what an amazing document that our founding fathers put forward well over 200 years ago. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant what they did. And uh, it, it still holds up today, even though many of our politicians are trying to uh, change it and redefine it and have a whole different meaning for uh, what, what it was intended to do. And it's still this is viable today as it was 250 years ago. Well, and we are celebrating the, uh, the uh, uh, let's see, the sep- September 17th is the actual Constitution Day. And so that's why we're doing this this week. I would highly recommend, Kevin, that people pull out the Constitution and read it this week. You know, everybody needs to, we need to get a little less lazy and make sure that we, each individual, is doing something to understand what makes us so special and then talk with our friends and family about it. Well, you know, the Constitution has more than one or two sentences in it. We, we're in a society now that has no patience for anything beyond five or six seconds of attention. So it's, it's uh, we, we do need to find a way to get back to a uh, you know, having a little bit of patience and actually learn something for a change instead of just staring at some little Twitter uh, Twitter feed, you know. <laughs> but the, this, this is where we're at right now, and it's a battle uh, that we got to keep fighting. Well, most definitely, and it's a battle worth fighting. So, uh, Kevin, very quickly, you have a new movie coming out. You said I think you have four or five movies coming out soon, right? 
I have five movies coming out, uh, two this year, and I have uh, three, obviously, next year. And then I have three documentaries that are coming out next year as well. And uh, all the movies I do are, you know, they're, they're, they're family-friendly. They're, a lot of them are faith-based. A lot of them are, uh, there's, there's certainly politics involved in them as well. Uh, the one that's coming out the soonest is called The Reliant. It's an action movie that deals with the economic collapse of America and what happens. And all we got to do is just take a look at uh, Venezuela to see what happens when things like this take place. So um, it's, uh, it, I'm looking forward to it. I got a nice family movie coming up called Bernie the Dolphin at Christmas time. It's the second one. Uh, the first one came out last year. And the one I just finished directing, Miracle in East Texas, just is making the rounds. We've done six film festivals. We won a good variety of awards. I wasn't able to be in Toronto last night, but I won Best Actor for that movie, which I'm very, uh, very honored to have won that. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. That is yeah. just awesome. And so what is your website so people can get more information? They can go to kevinsorbo.net. That's kevinsorbo.net. Uh, all kinds of info on there as well. They can follow me on Twitter um, at ksorbs, K-S-O-R-B-S, ksorbs. Um, I'm trying to get back on Facebook. They blocked me months ago, and I can't get back on. I think I said something friendly about Israel, and that was just way too much for them to handle. Um, them backwards. Uh, you rebel, you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, po- I posted I'm hosting a trip to Israel, and Facebook said, damn him. Okay, cut him off right now. Oh, uh, so, yeah, I, I tell I can't, you. I can't get back on. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, that, you know, these are the people that scream for tolerance the most, you know, yeah. and they have zero tolerance. Yeah, I, I know. That's what you see is, is uh, they say something, but they do the, the exact opposite. So, well, Kevin Sorbo, I am so excited to see you this next weekend up in Grand Lake. And for more information, go to GrandLakeUSConstitutionWeek.com. And there's all kinds of information there. And, Kevin, I'll see you on Friday. You will. And I'll be bringing my book and a lot of my, my DVDs. So if people want to line up and get some autographs, I'm, uh, I'll be there to do that as well. Awesome. That's great. So we'll see you on Friday. And, again, you can go to my website to uh, sign up for the drawing for four tickets uh, to the um, uh, meet and greet with Kevin on Friday night, as well as the uh, main event, uh, VIP seating at the main event on Saturday. So that is just great. We're going to go to uh, Jason McBride here in just a little bit. But one thing I wanted to mention tonight, and I I think we may have just a few seats left, uh, we are doing a Nuts and Bolts event over at Water's Edge Winery, one of my favorite places to be. And uh, we're bringing in Jeff Hirsch, who is the author, author of the Stock Traders Almanac. And we'll be talking about some different tidbits to, to help maybe you with your own personal uh, flourishing, thriving, your own personal economy. And so also you can go to my website and sign up there if, uh, if you're interested in that. Steve, one other thing that you and I wanted to talk about, though, that Patty had on the headlines is uh, this whole thing about, uh, where is this exactly? Right here, this was from the Sentinel, Colorado. Uh, It says, uh, protesting the home of an Aurora GEO ICE prison official is terrorism. Don't go there. And this is by the editorial board at the Sentinel. It says, a proposal by Metro Immigrant Rights Activist to protest at the home of an Aurora uh, GEO ICE prison official is a thinly-veiled act of extortion and terrorism. Members of activist groups Denver Communists and Abolish ICE Denver. And, uh, Steve, just bear in mind, everyday people don't do very well under communism. Just take a look at Stalin. Just take a look at uh, Mao in China. Take a look at Pol Pot in Cambodia. 
you know, people, everyday people don't do very well. So, again, a thinly veiled attempt that they say that they're standing up for people, I don't believe it. But anyway, members of activist groups Denver Communist Abolish ICE Denver each posted events on their Facebook pages calling for a September 16th protest meeting at a Southeast Aurora Recreation Shelter and then proceeding to the nearby home of, I'm not going to give the name, uh, CEO of the Aurora GEO ICE Prison. They said, why should the warden of the notorious ICE uh, GEO group concentration camp? I I had a friend who is uh, Jewish say, how dare they call that a concentration camp Um, in in Aurora? Get to enjoy quiet evenings in his suburban home after overseeing the torture and terrorizing of our asylum-seeking neighbors. That is just not true. And the idea that they would actually go to this man's house should strike fear in the hearts of every law-abiding citizen, uh, no matter if you are a blue dog Democrat, if you are a libertarian, if you are unaffiliated, or if you are a Republican, we not have to unite and say this is not okay. Steve? Well, we talked about it when you first came in a while ago. I see a, p- a great parallel between this story and the idiocy that came out of the New York Times over the weekend. Both of them are provocations, and I think the desired intent is to hopefully provoke a secondary incident of sorts. Let's say this thing really gets out of hand, and for some reason the individual's home that they're visiting uh, fears for their safety and might even you know, resort to using a firearm because of that provocation, and that's exactly what they're hoping for. Well, and the same people are the ones that are advocating that law-abiding citizens should not have a firearm to be able to protect themselves. And I hope, my friends, that you can start to see all of these things are correlated and what the danger on this might be. And uh, so anyway, let's, um, let's go to Jason McBride. Jason, there's a lot out there going on out there today. What's on your mind? Well, uh, a couple of things are on my mind. One is, of course, this uh, attack on the uh, Saudi oil fields by uh, apparently the Iranians. They're the suspects. Uh, The price of oil is up about 10% this morning to about 60 and a half a barrel. But interestingly, uh, the futures for the Dow are only down about 80 points. So it doesn't look like the market is terribly, terribly concerned about that. Well, you know, and Jason, I was thinking about that. So if if people don't know, there was a drone attack on some of the Saudi oil reserves, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Correct. Okay. And uh, they think that it's probably Iran that did that. Now, first question, remember back in the Obama administration, Jason, that, I I mean, it's hard to say exactly. I was looking for, for the actual amount this morning, but... And it's hard to know because it was cash, but they think that we gave at least $1.8 billion in cash to Iran in the, during the Obama administration. I mean, that defies reason. And, of course, then they did that crazy Iran nuclear deal, which Iran's been cheating on it. Now it looks like Iran may actually be attacking, forcibly attacking their neighbors. I mean, you look back at that and you say, what kind of leadership in America would be supporting those kinds of regimes? I can't figure it out. Well, it's tough. And, you know, they make, uh, they make a big deal about the $1.8 billion because it was cash, Kim. But don't forget the total they were given was $150 
billion. I mean, you can do a lot of damage over uh, in that part of the world with 150 billion. I mean, it seems uh, pretty obvious. And North Korea uh, received some of that money. It seems obvious that Yemen's receiving support. So, yeah, I believe Iran received that money, and they've they've used it to further uh, anti-America. Uh, operations and terrorism over there. Well, and why wouldn't we use that money to pay down our our, uh, U.S. debt? I mean, that seems like the prudent thing that should have been done. Well, too bad Trump wasn't in office then. Well, I guess so. so. You know, and I think he tried to stop it. Uh, right at the end, but it was too late. If I remember right, when he came yeah. into office, he was trying to stop the the transfer of that money, uh, but it was just too late. I I can't remember exactly for sure, Kim. Yeah, I know, but I mean, but looking at at the bigger picture, is why on earth would we even have that that happening? I cannot I understand have no it. Idea. Uh, so. Supposedly, it was their money that had been frozen for all these years, and we were just giving their money back to them. Uh, I I don't buy it, and I wouldn't have given it back to them, even if it was, quote, their money after all the problems they've caused. Well, for sure. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. If you give money to bad guys to do bad things, that's a bad deal. So, right. <laughs> so, hey, what else is on your radar? Well, I think it's very interesting with all this recession talk as well that do you know that the, the market is 0.7% off of its all-time high. Now, the market is usually six to nine months ahead of the economy. This is not a market that's acting anything like it sees a recession coming. But here's something interesting, Kim. One of the advisors uh, in the office said he met with a younger couple last week. And when he showed them, you know, just kind of where the market was near new highs, they were absolutely shocked. They had no idea because the news that they get fed to them all the time has been nothing but how bad everything is and, and that we're going into a recession. They, they were absolutely shocked that the market was up as high as it was. They thought it was way down, uh, losing money, doing all these horrible things. So, you know, there's an example of how, you know, this constant recession talk, I mean, it does get into people's heads. Mm-hmm. There's a real-life example right there. Well, and I think that the, the PPPs, the politicians, pundits, and professors are trying to push that narrative because if this economy continues to do well, then uh, people will uh, vote for President Trump uh, because people many times vote with what's going on in their pocketbook. Well, and and yeah. uh, so I think that's why there's all that talk there. And then tonight, I am really excited about this event that we're doing together at uh, uh, the Water's Edge Winery, Nuts and Bolts. And I think that it, you know, I think that we may have just a few more seats if people would like to last minute let us know. I think is can, do we still have maybe just a few seats? Yes, I think we do. Look like. Uh... A whole bunch of people signed up over the weekend, Kim. Were you uh, driving around and, you know, <laughs> holding them at gunpoint? No, or what? You, you know, that is, uh, I've done a number of events. And what I find about people in Denver is many times they wait until kind of the last minute <laughs> to uh, decide whether or not they're going to do that. And sometimes I do that too, I have to admit. So I think it's going to be a great event. It's uh, tonight at Water's Edge Winery. Uh, give Natalie a call over at uh, after 730 at 303 694 303-694-1600. She's uh, there at Presidential Wealth Management, and we'd love to have you come over. It's going to be a really fun evening. 
Oh, well, that sounds great, Kim. Well, you have a great show, and I'll see you tonight. Sounds like a plan. We're going to go to break. When we come back, Rob Nadelson, uh, you know him. He is a constitutional expert. He is. He really can get into these issues. And this piece that he did in the Epic Times, why recent attacks on the Constitution are wrong, is powerful. And it uh, gives us a, a narrative on how to fight back on all of these uh, kind of fabrications, if you will. So we'll be right back with Rob Nadelson. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I'm Kim Munson, and somebody who is never running on empty is Rob Nadelson. Uh, You know him. He has uh, Supreme Court justices and parties frequently have cited Rob's research articles. Uh, Just last week, a judge at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, which is the region served by the Federal Appeals Court in New York City, cited Rob's article on the Constitution's Emoluments Clause. Rob also recently has been cited by two additional state Supreme Courts. He just finished writing a U.S. Supreme Court brief on the school choice case coming out of Montana. Rob Nadelson, it is so good to have you here. It's so good to be back, Kim. Thanks. Thanks, I, thanks for inviting me. I feel. By, I, by the way, I had to wonder. I had to wonder though about whether or not I'm one of those professors that you refer to, <laughs> politicians, pundits, and professors who spread this uh, doom and gloom about the economy. <laughs> no, you are not one of those. I guess I should say not all, but many of the PPPs. How's that? But yeah, you are a constitutional expert. In fact, uh, you're, you've written an excellent book. I think, uh, if I remember right, it's like the U.S. Constitution what it uh, or the original constitution what it really said and meant or something like that a very important book the original constitution what it actually said and meant you know one of the things i should mention because people sometimes hear that someone was a professor and they got a kind of pigeonhole him as a as an as an ivory tower guy i spent a lot of time in my life in the private sector as well and in um and in business and I'm an active investor, and I can testify, yes, the market is near its high. Um, I'm continually amazed by how well uh, the financial situation is doing, the market is doing so late in the cycle. Well, and uh, I actually think if we can get rules and regulations continue to, to be pushed down uh, and uh, get taxes lower and 
uh, address this uh, national debt, I think that uh, we still have a lot of great growth here in America. But let's talk about this. You know, oh, go ahead. Uh, if, can, I, can I just address that quickly? Sure. Um, one thing that the tax cut did is it gave a, a quick jolt to the economy. But over over time, what we've learned is that when you cut taxes without cutting spending, it's like a temporary uh, jolt in the arm or, or shot in the arm. Mm-hmm. But then the economy does contract a little bit or it slows down after that. To, to really create sustainable growth, we have to do what the Trump administration and Congress thus far has refused to do and really get a, get a handle on our spending and reduce the national debt so as to, as to free up funds for the private sector. Until we do that, we're still going to be underperforming. You know, and I, I think on that, Rob, I think that each one of us is going to have to do some belt tightening. Uh, and, and, you know, I think a lot about the whole American idea as, you know, those that fought in the Revolutionary War, in the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, where people were willing to put blood and treasure on the line so that we could be sure that we could pass on this vision of the Constitution to the next generation. And my generation is thinking about passing on a big, fat IOU to the next generation. And I really think that there's something unvirtuous about that. And I think we're going to have there to have... There is something... You know, yeah, go ahead. It is, it is unvirtuous. There have been, however, uh, uh, a number of different political subdivisions and countries that have made major uh, changes, of course, where they've... they've Reduce the welfare state down substantially, and um, and uh, 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 driven down national debt in various ways. Um, Canada is a good example of that. The province of Alberta is even a more dramatic example. Uh, New Zealand is another example. But what it calls for is leadership, and the right kind of leadership. It calls for someone who calls who asks everybody to tighten his or her belt. Um, and explains constantly the moral imperative behind uh, the need to drive down the debt and drive down government spending. You, you can't do this piecemeal. It's been uh, some people have said, "Well, we could reduce spending by reducing Program X, and then we'll come back next year for another bite mm-hmm. of the apple." That never happened. Mm-hmm. It has mm-hmm. to be, as you suggest, uh, belt tightening for everyone, cuts across the board. It apparently is the only method that works. We haven't had a leader like that in this country yet, though. Well, and so that brings up another point. We are going to get to your important piece here. But sure. that is is here in Colorado, it's been referred by the legislature to the, uh, the, to the ballot this year in 2019, and it's called Prop CC. And it's taking a big bite at, uh, at Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And in essence, yes. what it is saying to people, and, and you have the PPPs, the politicians, pundits, professors, interested parties, that they're all saying, oh, we need more money, you know, to keep our quality of life. We need more money. And um, what Tabor does, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, is it says three things. It's all about good manners. It's all about consent. And that is, is hey, uh, I call them PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties. If you want to raise our taxes, if you want to incur debt that we have to pay off, or if you want to keep our tax refunds above, we'll give you a very generous formula of inflation plus population growth. But anything above that, you have to ask us. And we are finding that, that these PBIs, they don't want to ask us. And so this Prop CC is the first swipe at it. 
And uh, and one of the reasons, there's not been a lack of money here in Colorado, Rob, as you know. Uh, what we have is a spending problem, and we've seen, again, those those entitlement programs and those dependency programs have grown significantly under, like, Medicaid expansion. That's where a lot of the money is going. And so we need to say no on Prop CC, no on Prop CC. Uh, your thoughts? Well, just a quick response to that. First, you're right about the spending. When I returned to Colorado after being away from 25, for 25 years, I was stunned by how freely government is spending money in this state. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was the fable about the about the killing the goose that laid the golden egg, because uh, our economy became great partly because we had been restraining taxes and spending, and here we were just just uh, uh, freely spending like there was no tomorrow. Uh, and there are numbers to back this up as well. The uh, the whole idea of Prop CC is that you lift by popular referendum, you lift permanently any restraint on government spending, that is actually based upon a misinterpretation of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights by the Colorado Court of Appeals. It's a wrong interpretation. Under the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, the voters can lift the spending limits, but it's limited to only four years. So the whole idea of what they're doing is, I think, um, unconstitutional. It would be foolish for us to just write a a blank check for government because government always wants more, no matter whether it's merited or not. So um, you're right. Prop CC is not something that should be uh, accepted, and I don't think the voters will accept it. Well, and one other thing, the language, and you know, Rob, language is so important, that the ballot language on it, it says, starts off with without raising taxes. Well, you know, people like, okay, okay, but that's a little disingenuous. I I wrote a book. I wrote a book on the Taxpayer Bill of Rights about three years ago, and I identified a Proposition C, uh, which did pass, and many other propositions like this across the state at the local level, and noticed what I described as ballot language abuse. I mean, writing the language in a way that highly biases something that would never be permitted in other aspects of the election process. So people sometimes ask, can we run initiatives in order to shore up Tabor or to improve the situation? Yeah, one of the things we can do is we can insist uh, through a voter initiative, a constitutional amendment, that ballot language is written honestly when uh, the people get to vote on ballot issues. So that's, that, that's really important. Oh, that is uh, for sure. Our time always goes way too fast, Rob. Let's go to break, and then we're going to talk about what you and I agreed we'd talk about. This important piece, why recent attacks on the Constitution are wrong. Uh, This basically shoots down all those things out there where, uh, what do they say? They say the U.S. Constitution is undemocratic, sexist, racist, written by rich white slaveholders. Well, that may not be true. So we'll talk to Rob Nadelson about that when we get back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GER, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with Remax Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. 
This week at the 88 Drive-In, keep your windows rolled up and your vehicles locked because things are about to get creepy. Friday the 13th through Thursday the 19th, see three scary movies for $9. It, It Chapter 2, and Scary Stories. Monday through Thursday, get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot, along with two 16-ounce sodas, all for only $12. Sip on some hot apple cider, along with a sweet, crunchy churro. We're open seven days a week, so get directions now on the 88 Drive-In Facebook page or 88drivein.net. Hey, welcome back. I'm Kim Munson. Uh, let's have a conversation with Rob Nadelson. Uh, Rob, just quickly, I-, I cannot believe how many different Supreme Court justices throughout the country are citing your work. Is that pretty exciting for you? Oh, yeah, it's really exciting. Somebody described it as a gold ring for for a constitutional researcher. Many go through their entire lives writing articles, and uh, a Supreme Court justice never mentions them. And so, obviously, I'm very honored that they uh, decided to rely on my work. Well, that's exciting. But I want to jump through this really important piece that you've done. It was in the Epic Times, uh, September 10th. And you've said Americans traditionally revere the Constitution as we should. But because of the astounding success of the United States, uh, it has enjoyed under their governance. However, the Constitution has its critics now. So let's go through that. Well, sure. Um, For many years, people on the left used to claim that the Constitution authorized the welfare state, that it authorized government regulating almost everything. However, over the past few decades, a number of scholars, including myself, have published works that show rather clearly that you can't square the Constitution with something like, like the Green New Deal or like Obamacare. So advocates of programs like that have started to attack the Constitution itself. And um, the accusations of the Constitution was adopted by slaveholders, that it was racist, sexist, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, actually, those those charges are substantially not true. And that's what I mentioned or discussed in my Epic Times article. Well, let's take on the first one, then, that the Constitution is undemocratic. Okay, in order to have a democracy, and by the way, many conservatives will talk about the difference between a republic and a democracy. The founders didn't make that distinction. That, that's a distinction that arose later, so I wouldn't pay, pay a lot of attention to that distinction. The founders would have referred sometimes to the United States as a democracy, but they realized that for democracy or self-government to work, you have to have rules. You just can't have the mob changing its uh, views every every month and try to translate that into government policy. And sometimes the way the rules work out is that it, they thwart they thwart the majority in the short run in order to preserve majority rule in the long run. So a great example is the First Amendment. The First Amendment says uh, Congress can't pass a law suppressing free speech, even if 90 percent of the people want a law suppressing free speech they still can't get, at least not without amending the Constitution. So that's a good example of a rule in the Constitution that blocks a short-term majority preference in order to preserve democracy or self-government or republic, whatever you choose to call it, over the longer term. And the Constitution has a number of those different rules. Another example I gave is that 
about 8% of the time, not very often, but about 8% of the time, the person who was chosen as president, who gets to be president, did not win a plurality of the vote. Uh, again, that's because the, our presidential electoral system, and this is a very involved topic which we can't get into here, but our presidential election system is set up in a way that helps to preserve uh, self-governance and democracy in the long run. So the Constitution really is not anti-democratic. It is true that some states during the founding era uh, limited the franchise somewhat, they limited the number of people who could vote, but those restrictions quickly disappeared as the, as the, country, uh, as, as the country aged. Okay. Let, well, let's go to the next uh, allegation that the Constitution is sexist. Actually, the Constitution is not sexist. There's nothing in the Constitution at all which is sexist. The only thing you could possibly point to is the use of the pronoun he to mean he or she. But, of course, that was standard political usage up until – or standard uh, grammatical usage up to a few decades ago. Um, during the – when the Constitution was being drafted, the founders looked around for models. You know, what other constitutions or documents could they rely upon? Uh most of the state constitutions at the time referred to uh, men, or they were gender-specific in some way. An exception was the New Jersey Constitution. New Jersey actually permitted women heads of households to vote in New Jersey. Women voted in New, Jer- in New Jersey, and they voted in considerable numbers. And so when Governor Morris, who was charged with drafting the, the final draft, uh, was looking around for models, he seems to have used the New Jersey draft. And he created a document that is essentially gender neutral. That's why, for example, there's no real question that a woman could be elected president um, because of the drafting of the Constitution. It was remarkably uh, advanced uh, in, in, in that respect. And I think it was gender neutral because the founders recognized that there might very well come a time when women could vote in all the states, when there would be women federal office holders, and they and they wanted to uh, uh, they wanted to accommodate that. So the the Constitution is exactly the reverse of sexist. And if there's any, again, many states, most states denied the vote to women uh, at the time, but that w- we took care of that with the 19th Amendment, uh, which ensured that women can vote on the same basis as men. Okay. Well, let's go to the next one, that the Constitution, the next charge is that the Constitution was adopted by slaveholders. Actually, relatively few slaveholders adopted the Constitution. Um, the Constitution was adopted in conventions popularly elected in each state, and only a very tiny sliver of the electorate who chose the delegates to those conventions held slaves. Slave Slaveholding was mostly a a phenomenon among the among the wealthy, and of course only in some states. So uh, the vast majority of the people didn't hold slaves. You know, I, I would venture to say probably 97% of the people who elected delegates to the ratifying convention, that's just a guess, but it's an educated one, did not hold slaves. In addition to that, um, as the, the delegates to the conventions themselves were overwhelmingly not slaveholders. The slaveholder charge arises because some of the framers that is to say the people who drafted the Constitution or the Constitutional Convention held slaves, and that's true. But so also uh, did many of the delegates not hold slaves. And there's, there's also this point that 
people should remember. If you try to discredit the Constitution because some slaveholders favored it, you have to take into account that many slaveholders opposed it. So, for example, George Mason of Virginia, who was a slaveholder, opposed the Constitution. Well, does that mean that people who oppose the Constitution are discredited because some slaveholders opposed the document? Of course not. Um, so that when when you examine the uh, when you examine the charge, it just evaporates. It's actually kind of silly. Well, and the founders realized that if we believed in this idea, uh, and it's not really an idea, but that that individuals have rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That if and each individual has that, that put up a, a problem for the Americans once they made that statement, and so they started to work to, to get rid of slavery, right? Yes, and in fact, uh, in the eleven years, that when people think of slavery, they sometimes think of the really hard pro-slavery views in the South and say the eighteen forties. That doesn't describe the situation at the time of the founding. Um, we declared independence in 1776. The Constitution was drafted 11 years later. In those 11 years, eight of the 13 states had already uh, begun the process of emancipation. Um, only one state at the time the Constitution was adopted still allowed the, uh, the uh, international slave trade. There was widespread um, agreement among the founders, including those founders who had inherited slaves, that slavery was immoral. That's why, for example, one of the most influential founders, who unfortunately is too little known today, John Dickinson, uh, freed all of the slaves that he had inherited. So there was a genuine recognition among the founders, almost all of them, that slavery was immoral against natural law, and they expected it to die out. The reason it didn't die out, of course, is because uh, several decades later, Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin, which worked an economic revolution and made slavery much more, uh, much more viable. But the founders can't be held responsible for that. Well, and and just a correction on viable. You don't mean uh, viable from an approval standpoint, but that viable because no, no it became it, it, the cotton gin made slavery more economically attractive. Is what I mean. Yep. Okay. Wanted to clarify that. Okay, we're getting uh, kind of close on time, but uh, let's go through a couple of these others. That the Constitution was adopted only by white people. Actually, that's not true. In five states at the time, free African-Americans could vote. And, of course, Indians who did not owe their primary loyalty to the, their tribes and became citizens uh, also could vote in most states. Okay. And then what about that the Constitution was adopted only by the rich? Uh, that's definitely not true. The electorate that elected the delegates that approved the Constitution overwhelmingly consisted of small farmers, uh, tradesmen, merchants, and the like, um, not the rich. Okay, so this pretty well goes after each of these things that many of our kids are being taught in universities by some of those other professors, uh, Rob Nadelson. Yeah, um, one of the things I should mention, I, I mentioned in the article, is one of the most absurd claims is that the Electoral College was the product of slavery. I think uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez repeated, repeated that nonsense, uh, more evidence of how uneducated she is. Uh, there was almost no connection or discussion between the Electoral College and slavery, um, other than a chance comment by, by James Madison at, a, at a, uh, a time that was not particularly critical. And in fact, it, at the Constitutional Convention, 
the three states most committed to slavery, the Carolinas and Georgia, all voted against the Electoral College. Now, some people claim that the um, three-fifths compromise, whereby um, uh, slaves were counted as five slaves were counted as three white people, that that somehow infected the whole system, and to a certain extent it did. But that that particular compromise was not an approval of slavery by any means. I explain this in the article, and I explain it more thoroughly in another article that you can get by linking from the Epic Times piece. Okay, well, excellent. Rob Nadelson, thank you so much. This is an important piece in the Epic Times. I greatly appreciate it, and we'll have you back. Thank you, Kim. Okay. And our quote, Roger Sherman, who uh, signed all four of the major documents or was involved with all uh, four of those, uh, says the question is not what rights naturally belong to man, but how may, how they may be most equally and effectually guarded in society. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you and God bless America.